right, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion of the offense from that win over the Cardinals. Uh, every win's a good win. Let's start with that. Uh, in the first episode, I talked a little bit about uh, the opportunity set that Lamar Jackson had in this game and how it didn't really work out for him. Uh, you know, 1.5 yards per pass attempt with ample time and space is the big number. This week, last week, it was 22.4 yards per play every time he's under pressure. So uh, Lamar, you know, while he had a great game the previous week uh, and with bad offensive line circumstances, had a terrific offensive line performance to work with this week. And unfortunately, it did not uh, it did not work out for him. So, uh, uh, you know, it's we talked a little bit about multiple uh, causes for that in the first episode. And I hope you'll go back and and give that a download. Lots of other stuff on the trade deadline. I talked about uh, some of the trades that were made, some of the reasons maybe why the Ravens didn't make trades and just try and understand this seemingly ongoing war of words that occurs on Twitter between the people who don't want to trade away the future and, the, and love their draft picks and the people who want to win now, win now, win now, and always want somebody new for, for this year. It's just it's it's not a matter of one side's right or the other in every case, but it is a matter of we need to take a little bit of time to understand each other and why we might have these feelings about them. And it may be another Arab-Israeli conflict where we cannot come to an understanding <laughs> over such things, but it also may be a case where uh, at least, you know, we don't have to be rude to each other or mean to each other or talk trash to each other uh, based on these viewpoints that, that are, you know, well-founded, I think in, in each case in terms of, uh, of what's going on. And Voss and I could be very civil with each other, even we have, though we have very big differences in terms of how we approach win now situations on Friday morning GM. So I'd like to give you a chance to, to tune into that show if you would. Uh, so I think there's, there's a, there's hope for everybody else who has difference of opinion on this to just talk to each other like normal adults at this time of year and, and uh, not inflate problems beyond what they, uh, but what beyond what they really are. Anyway, let's get down to it. Talk at the second half of the show. We always start out with the offensive line stuff. Uh, uh, I will kind of uh, work my way through this uh, on my own, but uh, uh, the offensive line is responsible for only one of the four sacks in this game, they did not allow any quarterback hits, uh, seven pressures. Um, that was, you know, pretty good, honestly, for 31 plays and one penalty for an illegal downfield player. So five yard penalty, a serious penalty, by the way. I talk about that every once in a while because it gives a defensive option. But on the other hand, um, you know, one five yard penalty for a game is certainly something you would take. Um, but anyway, the, the key thing there are responsible for only one of the four sacks. So Roddy Stanley surrendered a sack. He's the first player we'll talk about um, when he slipped on the field and allowed Ojolari to beat him to the inside on a play. But nobody else allowed a sack. They, all the other sacks were over three seconds. Lamar held the ball. Eventually, the pocket broke down and he got tackled. None of that gets charged to an offensive lineman. They all made their blocks on those plays uh, for the for the time necessary. Um, if you go to a site like PFF, they generally feel feel the same way about it. Uh, in fact, if you look at it, they've got a sack for Stanley and nobody else. Um, so they're, they're you know very similar in terms of how they record it. On the other hand, for defensive players, even a late pressure or sack is recorded, and um, it's just it's a it's it's not within three seconds. Um, for me, I no longer record that as a pressure for a defensive player, but if they get a quarterback hit or a sack, you're knocking the quarterback down. So that's obviously a, uh, you know, a late, um, event that, that, that should be recorded and should be valued. Um, in fact, so starting with Stanley, uh, we talked about the problems with footing in the first episode. Um, they, I don't think it was enough of a point of emphasis for the Ravens to get the right length to their studs, uh, in this game. And a number of players were having trouble with footing uh, in the first half. Stanley's last into the second half when he lost his footing on the sack. So, uh, you know, a difficult thing, and, and you got to get it right. And there's some comfort issues involved that football players don't like to play with, you know, longer studs that are less comfortable. Um, but on the other hand, if you if you lose your footing, you're not, not any good to anyone. So, uh, you know, it's something that has to be, I think, appropriately tested. And, and maybe the Ravens need a quality control element or a – a set of drills you run a player through to prove that he's got good fitting, fitting with his cleats or whatnot uh, um, to, to be passable on the turf. Uh, like I said, the Ravens, I think usually get it right at home. It's on the road. They have more problems. 
Uh, sometimes it's a matter of rain, and that may be unavoidable in some cases. It wasn't a matter of rain indoors in Arizona. It's a matter of it's like a golf green you're trying to run around on, um, and it just t- is the footing is a lot more treacherous, and you need a longer stud to work with, and and uh, they didn't seem to have it right. So Stanley, if you'll remember, the very first touchdown drive allowed three pressures on that very first drive. And the third he actually allowed was on the touchdown pass. And unfortunately, I think that creates a false narrative for this game that Lamar was, oh my God, he was working under such tremendous pressure during the game. And look at this on the touchdown pass. He even managed to get his foot out from under Stanley's and throw off one leg at a weird arm angle to touchdown pass to Andrews. By the way, that was fantastic play by Lamar. No, no problem at all. And did have a really good game with pressure with over seven yards per throw uh, in pressure situations. So that part of his game was excellent. Um, But it's also a false narrative because most of the time in this game, 13 out of 31, 42% had the highest rate of ample time and space that he's had all season. And that's where he only got 1.5 yards per throw, but the offensive line played a really fine game. Stanley, the three pressures allowed were only kind of the tip of the problem though. And he's the one guy who had some issues. Um, he, he didn't get run out of any pressures this week. By the way, Lamar didn't run anybody out of a pressure the entire day today, uh, yesterday, um, Sunday. Uh, but uh, he did. Uh, um, uh, everybody got pressures that, that, that they actually allowed and, and nobody nobody avoided a pressure that way. Uh, Stanley missed seven blocks. This is one of the positive things about Stanley. Several of those were on L2 and B's uh, or a pull or uh, a case where they really didn't have anybody to block on the backside to run play. And only one was a loss at the line of scrimmage. That's very good. So it's losses at the line of scrimmage are what really cause problems. And they're the ones that have a higher probability of becoming pressures the next time around when you lose at the line of scrimmage and you're, you know, John Simpson earlier this year was getting pulled to the ground a lot. Um, not necessarily on plays that were pressure, might have been on run plays that went for a gain anyway. He'd get a zero on the play, but that kind of loss at the line of scrimmage is a lot more serious than pulling and not being able to find a block or moving to level two and not being able to find a block. And uh, and just generally speaking, that's a very good note for Stanley is that he only had one out of seven that was a loss at the line of scrimmage. He made three blocks in level two, was three of four on poles, one pancake, four highlights. Uh, four highlights is a lot for one football game. I'd estimate that happens probably – four times in a season, maybe once somebody gets five during a season uh, for a Ravens lineman. Um, in his case, it was, it, was a, it was a mix of stuff, really interesting stuff. Two combination blocks that he made. He had a play where he made two blocks on the backside of a run play. This is something you almost only see from Ronnie Stanley. But he jammed, I think it was number 93, into the line of scrimmage so he was in the wash and would have had to you know, run around traffic to, to get back in the play, realized that situation and, and jumped out to bump a defensive back off his track where he might have gotten back into the play later on the other side. So the run was right. On the left side, Stanley's taken two guys out of the play. It's something that really needs to be noticed. It's a very positive block when he could do something like that. He's an extremely heady player, and he has very good judgment about knowing when he's taking a player out of the play in order to make that second block. So really appreciate um, who Stanley is in that case. The other play was fantastic. Um, He was at right tackle outside. Now, unbalanced line was right. So he got moved over to the right tackle spot, which is three away from the center. So on the left side, they just have one guard, then Linderbaum, then Zeitler, Go one to the right. They have Moses in a tucked position. So he's in a standard spot for being right tackle. But there's a Ronnie Stanley's moving outside, which means he's tucked and has responsibilities that are more similar to a guard um, in in that situation. And so Stanley's on the outside and he's a big decision maker on a right side run where he may have to decide whether he kicks out, whether he moves up to level two. But he's got he's probably got the most active decision making role on a run to that side. And they often do run it to his side uh, on that. They even picked up on that on the broadcast, which I thought was really good. Um, and, and having Ross Tucker, you know, an offensive lineman, you'd, you'd figure them to, to do that. Ross is, uh, Ross is great with this kind of stuff. But right uh, anyway, uh, Ronnie was right tackle outside. Uh, it was a six-yard run by Edwards that occurred on the second play of the drive after the stone interception set them up with a 23-yard field. 
So they got a pass for 10. The second play, they line up unbalanced right. Stanley at right, at right tackle, sealed number 95. I think that's Cam Thomas to the inside. Then Moses was able to move up half a level to take over that block and effectively take over the backside of it. Then Stanley turned to the outside and kicked out Kaiser White. He effectively cleared out both sides of the hole on the same play. Edwards shot back right off the, the, you know, the left side of his butt through that hole for six yards, um, set up a second and four. The next play went in for a seven-yard touchdown when the line was unbalanced left and Stanley was back on the left, ta- uh, the left tackle outside position. So again, with Moses tucked this time on the left side, uh, great pair of plays, but that first play where he, he cleared both sides of the hole is the kind of block that should be on his lifetime highlight reel. He's got a lot of them. Stanley's been a great offensive lineman, but um, I hope these players are putting together their best plays on a highlight reel of their own that they can show their grandchildren. So, uh, you know, they, they don't miss out on that opportunity. I've always thought that would be a fun kind of a thing to, to, to put together for a player if they wanted to, to, to talk about some great plays that they had, but particularly offensive linemen, you can show them an individual game and, you know, you, you may have one block in the third quarter. You want to show somebody from that game. That's really great. But if you have, you know, 20 plays or, or 30 plays on one reel and you can get your grandkids to sit down and, and uh, watch it with you, I think that'd just be a lot more fun. I don't know how many, how many players are actually thinking about this in their twenties, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're, uh, you know, not even parents themselves sometimes, or even if, or they might not be married or they might even not know if they're going to get married. They might not even know if they want kids. There's always going to be somebody you want to show this to at a later point in time. Uh, so uh, by all means, uh, make sure you get that tape, even if you don't save that football necessarily from a, from a big event. That tape will, uh, uh, will mean a lot. So anyway, uh, Ronnie had three blocks in level two. We talked about the four highlights already. Now, here's the problem. He did allow the sack uh, to Ojolari. He allowed three pressures. It was, it was a short game in terms of there being 59 scored snaps because the Ravens had a, a kneel down as well they, that, that uh, subtracted one from the 60 they had. Um, so a D overall, he barely squeaked into the D range with an adjustment that was fairly, um, fairly solid. But I think for the second straight week, I look at it and say, this is a game where qualitatively Ronnie Stanley is starting to look like Ronnie Stanley again. Now, if, if you, if you, you take out that sack, which occurred, I think, due to cleats. He's back into the middle of the C range. Sure, I'd, I I hope he would have made more of his opportunities to block. But on the other hand, a lot of those missed blocks also were not losses at the line of scrimmage, as I said. That's also a very nice thing. Um, and then the three pressures on that first drive might have also been partially shoe-related. Um, so uh, anyway, that was a, a, another place where, uh, sure, things could have been better. I'm glad it worked out. You know, they had a touchdown drive despite allowing three pressures. Ronnie Stanley allowing three pressures. That's terrific. They had a touchdown pass despite Ronnie Stanley's <laughs> allowing or stepping personally on the quarterback's foot. That's fantastic. Um, but on the other hand, um, he needs to score well in some of these games. And that's something he has not been doing this year. So hopefully um, Ronnie will pick it up now. The rest of the offensive line played absolutely fantastic in this game. Everybody was at least an A-. minus. So I'll give you the spoiler alert right there on that. We'll go through them pretty quickly right now. Uh, Simpson, and all these guys are quick because there's not a lot of negative plays to talk about. Simpson had his second straight outstanding game. No penalties now for three straight games. That's really important for Simpson to reduce his penalties. Obviously, we've talked a lot about how that's been the big bugaboo his entire career. Um, 13 holding penalties in 1,545 career snaps before he came to Baltimore. Um, we thought that was an opportunity for improvement. So far, it had not been through the first five games, but in the last three games, he's uh, he's cleared up a lot of that. He had one pressure where he actually pancaked Kaiser White in the cone. And that was an unfortunate place. And he was standing in the cone right in front of Lamar as he did it. So it's almost like he provided the pressure on Lamar. Lamar had to move for him to, to you know, to get a throw off. And uh, you, you just need to be careful about what you do around the cone. It, it is sometimes something that happens is a guy gives up room, allows somebody to get close to the quarterback, then pancakes someone into the cone. That will often cause a pressure where the quarterback doesn't have the ability to step into his throw. Um, that I consider to be very important. So that's a big part of my scoring system. And in this case, it was it was himself, uh, uh, you know, a, a big bodied six four guy uh, who's in the way of Lamar. He went six of eight on pulls in this game. Something Simpson had not been uniformly great at uh, game by game. So it was really nice to see. Very importantly, 
he was much quicker processing on his help blocks for Stanley. So you want the biggest thing to take away from this game? I think it's probably that. Maybe the penalties as well. But I, but I really love the fact that Simpson, this game, it seemed to be a point of emphasis that he's processing from inside out, looking for hand on the center. Where's the blitz coming from? Where's the stunt coming from? I'm helping Stanley. That's your order of operations there. And you want to make sure you get quickly over to uh, uh, to helping Ronnie Stanley on these games. And uh, Ronnie could use the help. And, and uh, Simpson did a good job of it in this game. He had three missed blocks. None of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. So two pulls, I mentioned he went six for eight on pulls. And one L2NB where he moved to level two, couldn't find a block. Uh, three level two blocks, um, two pancakes, one highlight in the game, uh, an A for the game. And uh, tied last week for his best as a Raven so far. Really nice to have John Simpson turning around at this point in the season. Really, really good to see because the Ravens are going to be dependent on him. And I don't think the Ravens see there as being an answer. But frankly, I was getting worried as clo- as recently as two weeks ago that if Simpson continued to play at at a uh, you know kind of a subpar level, not you know getting penalized too often as it was was happening early in those first five games, that he might be replaced or start to get rotational play with Ben Cleveland. Um, and that would have been unfortunate because Simpson now has, has started to play well. And I think he's secured his position there at right guard for the bulk of the rest of the season, uh, at least, but, uh, you know, barring obviously an injury, but uh, I think he's in good shape to hold that spot. Tyler Linderbaum um, had a big holding call yesterday, which reduced his grade significantly. This, uh, this, uh, uh, sorry, on the previous week, this game, he had a second best game of the year, um, uh, trailing only the Tennessee game from two weeks ago. One pressure where he failed to pick, pick up a Kaiser White blitz in the A gap, but otherwise uh, he didn't have any negative events in the game. He had three missed blocks. And this is important again, none of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. He missed on a pull. He was in level two for, for two other missed blocks. Uh, so moved to level two, couldn't find a block. So that's a really good game for him um, in those terms. Uh, zero pancakes in the game. Um, made three level two blocks, two out of three pulls. Zero pancakes, one highlight combination block. Again, these go pretty quickly when you don't have a lot of negative events to talk about. A minus for Linderbaum. Uh, in the game uh, after adjustment, the center scale is a little bit more difficult. Uh, he can thank Matt Burke for uh, making me realize just how much differentiation there ought to be between tackles and centers. I actually had to change that scale down several years uh, uh, over the course of a couple of years to to uh, uh, make it more favorable for centers who now need to get a 92 to get an A minus. And that's exactly what Linderbaum got in this game. Kevin Zeitler. His third game in the last four where he scored well, and all I can say is, phew, because his play is critically important to this offensive line. Uh, it appears like he's back on a, on a very good train with uh, with uh, three A's or A-minuses in the last four. Uh, he had one pressure, which is only his negative event. Uh, he was bowled by Zayvon Collins. Uh, Zayvon Collins is an interesting draft pick as an outside linebacker a few years ago, a guy who had some coverage skills and I thought you know matched up reasonably well with the Ravens, although people generally thought of him as a higher draft pick uh, that I would have been really comfortable with the Ravens taking him. But uh, he, he played pretty well in this game, I thought, or that anyway play was good. Um, Zeitler missed two blocks. Only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. Uh, here's the big negative for Zeitler in this game, which was – the only thing which prevented him from getting an A as opposed to an A minus, he was penalized for illegally being downfield. That's a really bad penalty because it gives the defense an option. You're met much better off false starting both five yard penalties. False start is five yards at the only. It makes it first and fifteen. It makes it second and five, and an extra five yards, whatever it is. But it doesn't create an option for the defense to say, you know what, we'll take that interception instead, or you know what, you got sacked for an eight yard loss. That's fine. That's fine with us. Um, you don't want to create options for the defense. So it's a very important that that, that not occur. Um, and if I were to redo something about my scoring system, it would probably be to change. Uh, reduce the 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 penalty per five yards to minus two, and then increase the penalty for any option granted on a play to, for an additional minus two. So an IDP would change to be a minus four instead of a minus three, and a false start would go to minus two. A holding would still be actually minus six, as that would work out. So, uh, in any case, uh, Zeitler a, a, a penalty that was that did stall a drive in the end, but otherwise played quite well. Six out of six on pulls. 
one block in level two, one pancake, three highlight combination blocks. So his mobility and all look really good in the game. Obviously, you don't want to be caught in level two, but but to to have the that good set of pulls, um, get into level two, make highlight combination blocks, all all very positive. A minus after adjustment um, in this game, and uh, and Kevin is playing well. We get over to Morgan Moses. Uh, he had his best game since week three. I am not sure why he left the game after 50 snaps. So I didn't hear anything about it mentioned about a Moses injury in a Harbaugh's presser. Uh, They did have a lead, but they also drove using the run on that drive for a touchdown that really resealed the game at that point. So it was a little funny to me that he wasn't out there if something wasn't wrong. So he's one of the players we're going to want to look at on the injury report tomorrow. Make sure he's a full go. Um, hopefully there's no problem and, and and he'll be back to play. He certainly is a player you'd love to get some time off for. I uh, the same obviously would be true for Ronnie Stanley in terms of making sure he's not uh out there playing snaps he doesn't need to play. And as it as it turned out, McCary came in and was terrific for him as well. But uh, let's let's talk about Moses first. He had one full pressure, um, no other negative events, four missed blocks, two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. Um Center, you need a 92 to get an A. At tackle, you only need an 87 to get an A minus. So uh, that's a it's a it's a more lenient scale, and that's a, it's a function of the fact that that um, tackles are put in situations uh, where they give up more pressures just naturally. And all you have to do is look at the totals for um, pressures of quarterback hits and sacks. And the further you get away from center, the more of them there are. So uh, it's it's fairly natural that uh, that you would under. That, People would get that, so I don't think I have to harp on it, but uh, certainly something that that uh, Moses did extremely well to go a 50-snap game with only one pressure is is very solid. Um, mobility blocks continue to be to, to be solid for him. Um, he looks good because he doesn't pick up courtesy points on poles. So when he's a trailer and he would get a freebie just for running his lane, uh, he almost always finds somebody to block. He's a high-effort motor guy. Um, you might not think of Moses necessarily as being that, but the guy has really impressed me in that way more than just about any other since he's come to the Ravens. So uh, very positive on uh, on Morgan and how he played. Uh, a, after adjustment for him. Uh, and uh, don't think I have anything else to say about that. Uh, Patrick McCary came in in relief for that last drive. Ravens moved right down the field. Uh, and McCary had a number of blocks on that drive that were special. Not only did he go nine for nine at right tackle, but he had a pull where he hit. He had two level two blocks, and he had a highlight combination block. So um, that was really a terrific uh, run there. And uh, a good job by McCary getting it done uh, uh, in relief of Moses. Um, certainly something I think he's pretty happy to put on tape. He hasn't played badly by any by any sense this year, but he's just kind of an adequate minus um, uh, guy when he's in there at left tackle, uh, not the guy the Ravens want there for certain. Um, if they if they honestly felt like he was an adequate player, then they'd, they'd already have the Cassus Belli they need to uh, move on from Ronnie Stanley or rotate with Ronnie Stanley or reduce Ronnie Stanley to a pitch count or whatever it might be. But that's not the case. You know, they know that Ronnie has a lot of upside from where he's playing right now. They know that McCary is basically playing about as well as you can expect when he's in there at left tackle. And I think that they'll, uh, you know, they'll they'll continue to have McCary be that super sub, that sixth guy who's uh, been very effective for them. Well, that's the offensive line. Anyway, fantastic game and and uh, just the opposite of last week. So it was Lamar really who didn't come through on the opportunities presented by uh, by an outstanding um, game of, of pass blocking. One of the things about doing the show alone is I don't get as often to take a break to take a drink of water, but uh, – now, if you hear me uh, taking a break here, I'm not going to try and edit this. You guys can uh, just understand what's going on. And if it's a long break, I'm probably running to the bathroom, so you know that. Um, some other skill position players I'd like to discuss. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Flowers, um, used more in a short wide receiver screen game uh, in this case. I don't think the Ravens are getting what they need to get out of Flowers, obviously, doing that. Um, but Flowers did have some other contributions to this game. Uh, he had a fantastic block on one of Edwards' touchdown runs. Really maintained it well. And you look at this much smaller man blocking a uh, you know a larger cornerback and treating him like his his step stepsister, whatever it might be. Uh, you know, really 
blocking and, and maintaining that block. And, you know, he appropriately, I think, put a finger in the air at the end of that. And, you know, that's one for me kind of thing, or, you know, just great. We got the lead, um, whatever, it, whatever, however you want to think about that play flowers, uh, a terrific contribution on it. Uh, the streak of 50 yard games ended at seven. Um, and that tied the record, of course, since the, uh, since the merger, I believe it is, um, in terms of, receiver in his first seven games getting 50 consecutive 50 yards in every game um jamar chase who was the other one who had seven games had four consecutive games under 50 yards starting with that i think flowers had 19 or something in this game but um they did not use him much down the field um or they did not get him free much down the field let's put it that way and he would have been one of the weapons that once they figured out what the spy game was that that might have been a change they could make would be to take advantage of that space between level two and three, get Lamar some opportunities to manipulate those spies by either stepping out of the pocket or stepping up in the pocket and get those spies triggered, right, moving downhill, and then create that space uh, between level two and three. Easier said than done in some cases, but once you're at the point where you're extending a play, a lot of guys are going to look back to move back towards the middle of the field, or at least you have a lot of lottery tickets for that to happen, given you've got a lot of receivers. If you move right and leave the pocket on the roll, you actually restrict the amount of field. Even Lamar Jackson will not fill it, throw all the way to the left sideline in that situation. And so you, you, I think you reduce your own chances to, to get a completion. If you stay in the pocket, step up or just leave the pocket, you know, taking a step out and then maybe even a step back in, um, you leave yourself a, a better chance to make a make a throw over the middle of the field and uh, and try and trigger those spies. Let's talk a little bit about Odell Beckham. Now, Odell Beckham had four targets and no catches, and that doesn't include the times he was targeted on penalties. Three defensive fouls additionally drawn in this game. Um, I, you know, for for all of the weaknesses in what Odell's done, he's had a career low again in terms of yards per target at 6.2. He's done very well in terms of those penalties, and those seven penalties are not insignificant. Uh, Obviously, the DPI in the end zone was the big play on the last touchdown drive, uh, which was positive. And I think there was one on an early drive. Yeah, the the DPI on the left sideline on number 20 drawn by Beckham uh, helped give them a first down at the eight yard line um, that they then punched in on the very first drive of the game. So you know, his penalties, they had a, um, they had a significant impact on the game. And, um, and uh, you know, you, you've got to, you got to give Beckham credit for that. You've got to consider it in terms of how much additional value is being added on those. But uh, uh, you know, I think we have the right also to be a little bit disappointed in the results of Beckham, the receiver. Um, I cannot construct a value argument for the amount of money that Beckham was given. And I also can't construct positive portent that would lead me to think that Beckham can suddenly turn his season around and, and put up 700 yards, say of offense or probably even 500 yards. Um, based on where he is now, I think it's more likely he ends up between three and three hundred and four fifty. Now, maybe would be my guess. And um, and I think honestly, that's I was at. I had an initial estimate was in the three hundred range, and then I upped that after I saw what the contract numbers were because between the combination of incentives and the fact that the Ravens had spent so much for him, it was obviously he's going to be a bigger part of the offense than had he been a vet min guy with some incentives. You know, where they where there actually is options for the team to get rid of him. And I have upped that to about 441 yards. I know lots of Ravens fans thought over a thousand yards is that's obvious. Come on. And uh, you know, that uh, obviously has not worked out. Uh, I saw it was, it was offered on DraftKings, I think, or on one of the other sites at, at 580 for an over-under before the season starts. I have no idea what that over-under is now, by the way, but you can probably still bet it because we as Americans want to bet on everything at this point related to sports. So, uh, so I'm sure it's out there. Uh, let's move on though. Cause Odell uh, definitely made contributions despite not having a catch in this game. Uh, Rashad Bateman, fantastic game in a number of respects. He's getting very due praise from Harbaugh in terms of what he did to come back for that 29 yard catch. Um, that was the other big play on that opening drive that, that got him down to range. It looked like the ball was intercepted. Bateman, frankly, just jacked it right out of the hands of the defensive back. And uh, 
that is one of the great trust plays you can possibly make for Lamar. Lamar probably already thought, oh, crap, interception. Then, incredibly, Bateman has the football. Not only just doesn't knock it down, which, hey, you gain a lot of trust points just for doing that, but, you know, actually comes up with the football. The other. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another catch he made was a little five-yard catch that didn't seem like too much because it didn't get a first down on, I think it was a third and eight that was later in the game. But it made the difference. The ball was a little bit behind him, first of all. Yeah, it was the first drive of the fourth quarter. Ball was a little bit behind him on third and eight. Uh, He caught it, got tackled very quickly, which, which was unfortunate, but that wasn't on Bateman. That was really more about... Ball placement and the fact just that the ball was so short of the sticks was likely going to be a downhill play made on Bateman. I don't think he was going to get the first down no matter what. But it cut the field goal distance from 53 to 48 yards. And after Tucker had missed from 53, give him the or easier opportunity by all means. And, and he nailed that. And that was, of course, um, put the Ravens, gave the Ravens, I think, 24 points at that uh, at that point at 24 to n- 24 to nine lead, I think is right. And, and so, uh, you know, a, a nice lead in the game where they were 24 uh, seven, they were feeling very safe about it um, at that time. Anyway, I do expect Bateman to be more of the offense as we move forward. And, and I think we saw some of that in the fourth quarter when he got a huge opportunity to run the jet sweep on second and 13. And, you know, while some of me says, don't use your best route runner on a jet sweep, when you have an option to, to, to use other players. And I'm not saying that, that, um, uh, the flowers is necessary. has to be the guy, but you got Duvernay available. You've got other wide receivers, maybe Aguilar or somebody like that. If you want, if you want to run a jet sweep, but they gave it to Bateman and that's a big, um, trust win for him. And he delivered with an 18 yard run. Um, and, you know, for all his great route running, um, and for, for, for the other things that, you know, he's not been on the field and we haven't seen him as much. He said, you know, Rashad Bateman is still very fast. So nice to see him uh, outrace the defense on that play. And, and I thought it was schemed up well and, and very good that they gave Bateman the, the, the run there. Patrick Ricard had an up and down game. Um, it, certainly some good things had happened. Also some not so great things. Had a, a great block on one of the early touchdowns runs. Or maybe actually, I think it was the seven-yard touchdown run left. He made a great, he, he made a great block on. Yeah, it was actually... I think it was the the last touchdown in the third quarter, um, but he he had a twofer on the play where he uh, uh, he took two players out of the play, and that's always nice to do. Ricard otherwise was not perfect in terms of his blocking, but he he remains um, a, an asset that they use. I thought it was a little strange in a game where they ran the ball almost exclusively at the end, and Ricard still had. He had 35 carries. Okay, I'm, I was looking at something else. I thought he had 25 carries on, but 35 carries out of 60 is just fine. So Monken is using him almost 60% of the time, and and that's a uh, a good amount. Um, I, I've been very happy with the way Monken has continued to emphasize the role of Ricard. Uh, he's obviously the Ravens' best point of attack player. Uh, when they want to, when they want to juice up run schemes, and there's still a lot of time in football games, particularly when you are a team that builds leads, where you want to do that. You want to want to create point of attack offense, and you want to be able to get the run game going and and uh, and stop the clock out on the other team. Didn't you didn't see him as a receiver at all uh, this week? Hill uh, had another good game of touches here. He had a. Um, uh, not any really big runs, but he ran four times for 15, didn't embarrass himself and anyone did have a, a one, uh, uh, I believe run for negative yards, but, uh, his long was seven there. That wasn't the big thing. Well, the big thing was a 24 yard pass play. Um, he had four out of four targets caught this game. And by the way, Justice Hill has now caught all 15 balls thrown his way this year. The problem was that he only had 11 for 27 or 28 yards coming into this game, which was two and a half yards per target. And now 
Uh, he had he had an average of 10 yards per target, four catches for 40 in this game. So that'll uh, considerably uh, improve his average. In fact, I can calculate that, I guess, on the fly here. He may have 68 over 15. So he's, you know, four and a half yards per target now, which is substantially better than the two and a half yards he was coming in. And here's the other thing. With Edwards going two catches for 14 yards, and he was the only other running back that was targeted in this game, the Ravens maintained a 9.0, 9.0 yard per target average for their running backs this season. And it's been everybody's contributed to that. Kenyon Drake, the now Browns practice squatter, uh, Josh Gordon, you know, it made a contribution to that. Uh, Mitchell made a contribution on just you know one play <laughs> that that he that he was there. Uh, but anyway, there've been multiple backs that have contributed to it. That most people will correctly point to the Edwards eighty-yard catch as having a a significant being a significant component of that total. It's still fantastic that they're getting running backs involved as often as they are and as successfully as they are in Monken's offense. And that is a tribute, I think, to some of the spacing that uh, the, the running backs are able to make as much hay as they have. Really, really looking forward to Mitchell getting more involved in the passing game. And I think Monken has the golden ticket with regard to Mitchell already. He played his first two snaps in a pony backfield. I think one time he might have been lined up in the backfield. The other time he came for jet motion and took the pass uh, that went left for his only only touch to date. Um, getting him involved in the offense like that as a flanker is going to make Flowers a more effective downfield target where he's less of the designated gadget guy. And Mitchell himself is going to be one hell of a dangerous player uh, from all looks. Also another reason to be kind of happy the Ravens didn't pick up a running back at the deadline. Would Josh Jacobs be good? Yeah, he, I mean, he certainly could be, but whoever he takes playing time away from, it's going to be some of snaps from Edwards, Hill, and Mitchell. And each of those guys, you know, we're fairly confident, I think, in what the Ravens have there. Hill's been a, a, a threat when he's touched the ball. Um, I think he promises to be more of a threat in the Monken offense than he, than he was uh, with Roman, obviously, uh, because of the spacing and, and, and what they've been trying to do. And uh, Mitchell, I'm just I'm still excited to do both what he can do as a ball carrier out of the backfield um, and in these uh, situations where they want to use him as part of a pony uh, situation. So excited about that and uh, and uh, perfectly happy that the Ravens can get by with the talent they have, uh, including Mitchell when he comes back. Nelson Aguilar, um, yeah, only one target in this game. It was incomplete. Um a little bit unfortunate, and I'm trying to remember if, uh, if from visually, if I if I can remember that the target that was incomplete for him. Um, but uh, you know, a guy who probably will be schemed back into the offense more. Um, Lamar does seem to have a good degree of trust with him, and he's a guy who has ended up way outplaying where he was in 2022. And just to give you an idea, he was really near the bottom of the league in a lot of the important advanced metrics, um, including drop rate and, and yards per target and things like that. This year, Nelson Aguilar, despite going 0-1 for 1 in this last game, has 10.1 yards per target. That's only happened, I think, four times in Ravens history in a single season for anybody with 20-plus targets. It might be five now because uh, I think Bateman might have been the fifth. But he's caught 17 out of 22 balls for 222 yards. And uh, Aguilar has been a significant component of the Ravens offense. And, and hopefully if he can continue at that same kind of pace, which is probably unsustainable, um, you'd be very excited by that because uh, receivers that are 9.0 and over are worth their weight in gold, 10.0 and older worth their weight in whatever the next highest medal is. But uh, uh, anyway, that's a good way to uh, look at it. Talk a little bit about Edwards earlier in the first show. Uh, I thought Edwards just a fantastic job of running the ball down the opponent's throat when they knew the run was coming. And, you know, the, the Ravens had good scheme. They got him some decent holes to run through. Uh, when he ran through those, he had decent amounts of yards after contact. Not great. And, by the way, a 2.4 yards per contact game is, is certainly not great, but it, it needs context because it, at the point in the game he was running – it's difficult for him to pick up big yards per contact, big yards per play after contact, because he's always going to be facing multiple tacklers quickly after that first contact, because the the box is so stuffed 
trying to trying to get him stopped. Uh, Ricard can only do so much. Unbalanced line, getting Stanley out, making decisions in level two only can do so much. So um, they did good things with him. I thought he was he was effective, but unfortunately, uh, uh, the his yards per uh, carry are going to suffer this year from just the offensive style that the Ravens play and the fact that he's going to be doing most of his running when the other team knows it's coming. Mark Andrews, I think we'll hit on him just briefly. Another fine game. Uh, the guy just uh, seems to be in the right place, finding Lamar Jackson at the right time. The touchdown pass was an excellent example of it. Interestingly enough, Flowers was moving to the exact same spot. You could probably see that on the um, as the ball was thrown. I think that Flowers might have been the guy that Lamar would have immediately thrown to had Andrews not been there. Uh, like maybe if Andrews had stayed into block, say on the play, wouldn't happen there. I know, but it, but it, Flowers was doing the right thing to shake free late on that play, um, and uh, just a, a a great combination to have Andrews know where to go to be able to sit down for the football, and Lamar know how to get the ball to him even when his left left foot is being stepped on by uh, by Ronnie Stanley on the play. So uh, good one by Andrews. Let's talk about the MVPs from the game. Then I'll go out of the mailbag here really briefly. I'm going to go just 3-2-1 pretty quickly. My number three guy is Rashad Bateman. Uh, fantastic game of uh, being in the right place at the right time, making a play on the football um, that you really love to see, making a, a, a nice run, uh, doing the nice safe reception on the on the, um, on the the third and eight play for five yards that, that shut down the uh, or, or trimmed the field goal distance for Tucker. Uh, in a way that that really helped the team. So Rashad Bateman gets my number three uh, nod. I don't think uh, it could be anybody but Gus Edwards at number two or number one, maybe, but I'm putting him at number two. Uh, Edwards, a, a fantastic game in terms of running at the Cardinals when they knew it was coming and they still couldn't get him stopped. And they drove right up the field for that touchdown when the Ravens really needed a touchdown. If you look back at the last few years, the game's blown against the Dolphins, against the Giants, um, and others, the Bills. The Ravens needed a touchdown like that in every one of those games to try and stave off the opponent and both run out some clock and um, you know get an additional score themselves. And, and that's what the offense really lacked. They turned the ball over pretty regularly, particularly against the Giants in that situation. Uh, and then they gave up really quick to these when they when they uh, uh, when the ball was returned to the opponent. So Edwards' ability to take the Ravens right down the field um, and my number one. Uh, MVP, uh, their contributions to it as well were really special. The the Ravens' offensive line from left guard to right tackle gets my number one vote. And I'm sorry, Ronley Stanley has to be included, but he just didn't have as good a game as the other guys. Um, Simpson, Linderbaum, Zeitler, Moses all played at extremely high level, all within a you know very close range in terms of the scoring. All either right at the bottom of the A level or exactly at the A minus level for two of them. So fantastic game for those guys. It is so good to see all of them playing well together. And I think if if we're taking something out of the positive from the trip to the desert, that would be it, is that the offensive lines seem to get it together at the right time. They pass blocked well against, you know, a not bodacious pass rush, certainly, but they pass blocked well. They gave Lamar a great opportunity set and they ran the ball when they knew it was coming. I've said it about five times, but it's just uh, bears repeating in a certain sense that uh, that that was very special. All right. Now, I've been a little bit remiss in going through the mailbag. So I'm going to try and get to all the questions I can here over about the next 10 minutes. And we'll we'll go fairly quickly here. Brett Hammonds has been a regular contributor, had a couple of different questions. He says, hey, Ken, do you happen to have YPA or EPA numbers for Zay on screen targets versus other targets? You know, that's a that's a good thing, and I wish I had that, but I don't. Um, it might be that a site like Football Outsiders has that. I'll have to do some digging. I will try and get back to you on this one. Um, but he, the question he asks also, and this is probably the more pertinent one, is what are the factors you think that are keeping those plays from working? Well, I don't know that they haven't worked. I mean, I don't expect them to be 10-yard per play opportunities for Flowers, as elusive as he had, but he's had a couple of good ones uh, during this time. He's also had a couple that that, that haven't worked. Um, one of the things is that the Ravens have run a lot of these this year, and other that means other advanced scouts have seen it on tape. They know when they get certain looks what's likely to happen. Um, a motion by Flowers always has to be taken 
uh, into account for the possibility of a gadget play first, um, a jet pitch, jet mo- or a, a jet handoff, or a jet pitch, uh, or also for the possibility that he motions out. And by the way, we see a receiver mo- motioning away from the line of scrimmage directly from the slot on the same side, from the slot on the same side. That often means wide receiver screen. It's kind of a giveaway. And that would be one thing that that I would point to. Of course, that can also be a misdirection element. If you if you use that the next time, and it's not the Arizona Cardinals, maybe it's the Cleveland Browns, and you get three of their defenders over there trying to stop that screen pass, well, that might create another opportunity for you, whether it's a Lamar Jackson run or whatever it might be. And uh, uh, and that uh, might be something. But anyway, it's, it's true. The Zay targets on the screens um, haven't been working out. Let's go to another one here. Um, this is a good one from at Nikki622A, Angelove85. And she says, if Bowser, Ham, Ajabo, and Pepe are coming back, is the defense complete or do we still make a trade? Now, this was this was uh, sent on the 30th, so the day before the trade deadline. Um, also, any concerns about our run defense? Okay, so there's two, two really good questions here. So first of all, is the defense complete? I think the defense is complete in a lot of ways. I think the outside linebacker in position in particular, Bowser and Ajabo are two significant returns that you know would be players they don't want to block. I think they'd be perfectly happy um, making Tavius Robinson a inactive based on the amount he's played. That has not been significant enough to, to have him have a roster spot. So I think they'd be happy to have that happen. Ham is a guy who I think um, gives them some Sam linebacker characteristics they'd like to have on early downs, maybe instead of a few Harrison snaps. So I think that could be good. Harrison's played pretty well, honestly. I'm, I'm happy with what he's done. Um, Bowser is the best coverage outside linebacker in the league when he's right. So hopefully when he comes back, he's the same player he used to be. Um, it's uh, it's interesting. I think he. a lot of people are already acting as if Bowser is gone. I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think Bowser is probably, when he returns, going to be playing for his 2024 job. He's signed. He's an incredible bargain if he's the Bowser of old. Um, he's a, a contract you don't want to have on the books if you're you have a significant injury risk uh, for next year. So hopefully Bowser comes back. Uh, they're not paying him this year because he's on F- NFI, but his, also his contract doesn't um, roll over into next year. It will only do that on the last year of his deal. Um, it's, it's called tolling, and I always get confused about which direction it goes, but it, when it when it, in this year it happens, his, his contract doesn't still have two years left on it, only has one, even though the Ravens didn't pay him uh, for this year. So I, I'm I'm happy I'm perfectly happy they're not taking snaps away from any of Owe Van Noy or uh, Jadavian Clowney all who have really good pass rush rates they could they could have gotten a better pass r- uh, rusher at a high price you know Young was was a guy or uh, Sweat might have been a guy as well uh, who both have very good pass rush win win rates but those guys also come at a high cost and then you also have to have figure out what's the amount of incremental value you're getting over your current guys. And some of those guys have to lose snaps. So I, I don't, I, I'm not unhappy at all about it. The one thing that additional outside linebackers like Bowser and Ajabo can do for the Ravens when they get back, and this also would have been true with Young, is they would have given relief to the defensive line in terms of snap count. So we really want Matabike to play a few less snaps. One way to do that is to have, uh, and Pierce also, to have Pierce replaced on passing downs by another player and have a player like Travis Jones take some of his rundown snaps and then also to have passing down snaps where they only have one defensive line on the field. I know it's probably going to be Matabike, but Jones replaces Matabike on early downs at the three tech. Matabike plays all the passing downs only, and you probably have Matabike's snaps cut enough that you can still get the maximum value out of him. Um, and to do that, you need to bring in an extra outside linebacker who can kick inside and having Bowser and Ajabo active would, would provide them with that kind of flexibility. Right now, the Ravens have no personnel flexibility they're using at all. And that gets into your second question about, is there any concern about the run defense? I don't have any concern about the run defense at all. I think, you know, they, have, they give away some runs that created some second and shorts early in that game. The Cardinals ended up running for only a, a little over four yards per play in the game. I don't think you, you, you get 4.0 exactly, as it turns out. I don't think you get concerned at all 
about a level like that. I think you you, you let it ride, uh, particularly when the team's only allowing 4.3 or 4.4 yards per pass play, which is just unbelievably good. So they're getting the variation they need defensively, I think, versus both the run and pass with a combination of holding penalties and tackles for loss on run plays, combination of penalties and sacks and turnovers on pass plays. Uh, I think this team is is getting it done in every way defensively, and it certainly shows up when you compare them to any other defense in the current NFL. Um, their yards per play allowed, they have a bigger lead on the second-place Cleveland Browns than the Browns have on the 18th-ranked Seahawks. Think about that for a moment. So the Browns are something like .58 behind the Ravens. Um, I think Ravens are at 4.16. Browns are at 4.74. And you tack on another 0.58 to that, and you get to the Seahawks, I think, are at 4.30 or 4.31. But the but the, uh, um, the Browns are closer to them than they are to the Ravens in terms of yards per play. And uh, it's it's a great Ravens defense, and I think contextually we'll have a chance to look back at this. Um, wouldn't compare them to the 2000 defense, which made their hay in the playoffs. They had a great regular season, no doubt about it. But they also allowed 3.2 yards per play in the playoffs as they demolished um, the other four teams they faced, and uh, only Tennessee could really stand on the field against them. So uh, uh, I, I, I'm not ready to anoint them in that way, but I will say they've had a full year now with Roquan Smith, and that year had Tyus Bowser back for the second half of last year. Um, in in this half, though, they've been they've been rotating in a lot of other pieces. Uh, they haven't had their full outside linebacker core. They haven't had their full um, cornerback. Uh, allotment at a at a uh, level that I think they would have been happy with before the season started. They've had injuries at safety um, that haven't come up, but they have seriously held it together. And you know, part of the fact that the Ravens have allowed a little bit more in run yards per play is a, f- a function of the defense they play. They, they play this cover two where other teams are incented to run the ball. In fact, if they don't run the ball, they're kind of penalized for trying to pass into it. And they haven't been able to pass successfully long. The Ravens have really reduced um, long plays. They have given up a few longer run plays, but not too many. And the, and the overall uh, yards per play is excellent no matter how you slice it. So uh, I, I'm, I'm going to put myself right in the column of not concerned about the, uh, the Ravens' run defense at this point. But thanks, thanks uh, Nikki622A, for, for that question. Uh, Lucas Hagar. Now, I know Lucas had a good question. I attributed it to the wrong person. So... He said, um, on a related note, this is this had to do with a game management decision. Um, uh, you dive into the logic surrounding first and goal at the one with 255 left. Feels like three kneels and then a rushing attempt at the end zone was best mathematical way to seal it. It's a very good point. It is not something that um, I normally associate with um uh, with Harbaugh but 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 basically here was the situation in the game the Ravens went on that long touchdown drive um they had as a big part of that drive on third and nine or something let's go back to it third and seven had the 33 yard DPI um that was drawn by Beckham in the end zone set them up at the one yard line Uh, let me get the exact time of game situation here because I think Lucas Hagar has an excellent point here um, so there was there was uh, only 2.56 to go in the game. And this is important to remember, the Cardinals did not have any timeouts left. They used them up at the beginning of the drive. In fact, on the first three plays, they went timeout, 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 finishing with their last timeout at 6.17 to go. So with 2.56, the Ravens couldn't quite have gotten it down to one uh, to two minutes on one play. So they would have you know, had a um, nine-point lead. They could have gotten the ball down to um, – uh, they could, could, could have gotten it down with two kneels to be at uh, two minutes. And then they could have run the clock down to about 115 on a third play. And then, you know, hey, you're up by nine points. I think you go ahead and run it again on a fourth play. Or you run, run any play, frankly, at that point because change of possession would stop the clock. And you run it on a fourth play. And if you give the if you give Arizona the ball at the one yard line down nine points, that's not a bad place to be with 115 to go. And so I think, Lucas, you have a great point there. And I think from a game management perspective, if they'd been on top of it and said, Neil, 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 even Neil, 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 quarterback sneak, 
would have been fine. And maybe they get in, maybe they don't. Leave them at the one. Hey, that's uh, that's great. But they went ahead and they they punched the ball in with Gus Edwards and they um, they got it done there. Um, Lucas, I'm totally with you in terms of the game management on that. Uh, good call. Um, Lucas also asked the question. I, he said, I don't know if you're explicitly taking a stand uh, in the defensive piece that I wrote, but we can agree that regardless of circumstance, you should always take an action that increases your expected win probability, right? Talked about this in the first show a little bit, but the answer is no. You you need to get paid off for the risk you take. So if you have a positive expectation on something, you still need to have uh, reduced that variance as much as possible. And by the way, your second question exactly addresses that because you're basically saying, wouldn't it have been better to take a chance on having a nine-point lead only, which would have reduced expected points, but certainly increased expected win probability um, on that drive. And so it's it's actually you you answered your own question with your with your with your second question, which is which is outstanding. But anyway, I know that's a difficult concept for a lot of people to understand. But you basically want to if whatever you're getting paid off for in life, you want to have um, uh, that not have a lot of risk that goes with it. So, you know, the classic one is you're faced with the option of investing in a bond or investing in a stock. A stock has a higher expected return. That's the way it's always presented to us. I don't know that that's been always been true in every point in history, but, it, but it, you know, over a long term, an equity will have a higher um, expected rate of return and the bond a lower one. But supposedly, there's less variation and less risk you're taking in terms of the variance of, of outcome on a um, bond than on a stock. So that's the reason on a risk-adjusted basis, um, those things can maintain the pricing that they have is because people like to reduce risk. So Lucas, great pair of questions. Really appreciate the listeners like you who uh, get into the, the the dirty math like that. And uh, and uh, I uh, you know, just appreciate you contributing the mailbag on a regular basis. Let's see, we got Gooba the Man said, what are your thoughts on Saquon Barkley? What would you give up? Well, we're at a moot point here. Um, I, I did say I'd pre- my return to him was I, I'd prefer him to Henry for what he can provide, but I didn't think a third, even for Barkley, uh, renting him for the rest of the season was a was a reasonable option for the Ravens. The guy, the thing I would have tried to trade was a floating fourth in twenty four. I think the the Giants would have refused it because they supposedly refused trades today that might have been better. So. Um, uh, the floating fourth and 25 would mean a, a uh, pick probably almost directly at the end of the round because um, the Ravens will have compensatory picks. They probably will have at least one compensatory pick that's in the fourth round, and it would be one of the last picks in the fourth round, if not the last pick in the fourth round they'd be trading. So that would be, uh, you know, it'd be of significantly less value than, say, a early to mid fourth round pick. Uh, let's see that, uh, I think that does it for the mailbag. Really appreciate the questions guys. And, uh, always, uh, appreciate the thought that goes in that please, uh, keep them coming. Um, we, we, we like the mailbag. We don't always get to it with every guest, particularly if, if the guest and I are going down a million rabbit holes, but appreciate it on a show like tonight where, uh, gives me something to chew the fat on and, uh, and go down a rabbit hole with you out there. That'll be it for tonight's show. I will uh, ask folks uh, to, if you have an interest in a film study short, hit me up with a DM on Twitter. I'll get right back to you and uh, and we'll talk through a, an idea. Again, the, the more narrow the idea, the better a chance. And they're still coming in at a rate of one or two per week during the season. I'm going to get as many of them done as I can, uh, but lots of great ideas. And please uh, uh, stay on top of me. If I ever forget you in terms of getting back to you a second time in particular, don't be ashamed to nudge, guys. I still want to hear, particularly if I responded positively at all the first time or we got together and we talked about it over the phone. Um, it just means I probably have forgotten about it. Nudge me. We'll get right back on top of that. I apologize for the uh, the delay getting uh, uh, getting to it. I will ask again, other folks, if you have a chance, um, do all the things that will help us algorithmically improve the um, uh, span of the show. Love it if you just recommend it to that guy at work. In particular, if you just go over to his computer, I know we're, we're all working virtually now, or it seems that way. Go over to that older guy's computer, your dad at his home, whatever it might be, who's still used to using a desktop, doesn't even like the laptop, damn it, it's, it's too much trouble. Um, you can just play the play the podcast directly off the website. Go to filmstudybaltimore.com, go to podcast, 
click on that, show him how to do it. Doesn't mean you have to listen to it on anything but your phone. Um, I know that's where 90 some percent of our listens are on, are on a phone, but it would be great uh, to have some other old timers uh, listening to the show. Uh, and, uh, and that would be one request I'd make always reviews are nice. Comments are nice. Subscriptions to the YouTube channel are, are, are good as well. It's the same thing here without pictures. So, uh, it's just a different way to listen to it, but we really appreciate the, uh, uh, the attention. And I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the loyalty of you folks over all these years. I've now been doing this for, uh, 18 years and you've been a, a fantastic, um, audience for both the articles for all the years that I, that um, I've done those and now the podcast and uh, I really appreciate it. It's been it's been fun um, and uh, and you guys are the reason why I keep doing it. That'll be it for tonight, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.